From their padded cell in Howard, Pennsylvania, this is The Spiel. Episode 9, Myth and Match. Stephen Conway. And I'm David Colson. And I'm Mark Weaver. And we're back here in uh, lovely Howard, Pennsylvania for another episode visiting our friend Mark. How are you doing, Mark? I'm doing all right now. You ready to talk about some games again? Yes. <laughs> We've just had a death match of bocce <laughs> before we started this episode of The Spiel, and so we're ready to cool off and talk about some, some cool games here. So let's, let's have at it. news and notes. So, uh, Dave, what uh, what do you have on the, the agenda this week for news and notes? Well, a game that came out about, I'm thinking about a month ago, um, it's called Timbuktu. I haven't done a lot of research on it, but I've actually seen this game, have held it in my hands, and it just looks really cool. Um, it's put out by Queen and Rio Grande. It actually came out in 1993. Oh, it really? It has just recently been redone by Rio Grande in a multilingual version. Okay. So um, it has been out a little while. It lists for 50 bucks, I think. Um, you can find it at Thought Hammer and Fun Again for between 33 and 36 bucks. It's three to five players, ages 10 and up, um, designed by Dirk Hen. So what, what looks cool... To me, to this game, first of all, hello, components. There's these <laughs> bunch of camels yeah. that oh. look really sweet. I mean, we only have like a couple camel games in our collection. Yeah. <laughs> so whenever you get a chance to put more camels in your collection, yeah. I'm thinking you have to go for that. Do they um, spit? Do they spit, right. Exactly, that's the key. Camels with real as spitting As long as they action. spit on Steven, exactly. Uh, what's, what I think is cool about this is we, are, on the last podcast, we played a lot of games that were kind of deduction mm-hmm. games, and this has a mechanic that is deduction is a deduction mechanic, but it's not the main purpose of the game. Oh, that's cool. So I, I just think it looks really cool. That's one thing that I'm going to look to get here in the next few weeks. So That sounds <laughs> awesome. I can't wait. So um, what do you have? I have, uh, this is a really goofy game, and <laughs> I'll admit that fully uh, straight up. So the game is Cobras in the Cockpit. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so I'll give you the little gritty details here and then I'll explain a little more about the game. So McRae Moyer um, is the designer and the game um, studio is Secret Door Game Studio. It's for two to four players. They say 60 minutes, $30. Um, The release date, this is where it kind of gets a little cheese ball. Um, It's not really, it hasn't been published yet and Uh. there's a chance it might not ever be published because they're waiting to see how pre-sales go. So they're taking pre-orders for the game right now for $30. And if they get enough pre-orders, then basically they're obviously a really small game company. Right. And if they get enough money from pre-sales, then they'll they'll start printing them. It's probably just a matter of when and not if, I would guess. Because uh, Cobras in the Cockpit <laughs> is a game riding on the coattails of the B-movie darling Snakes on a Plane uh, that's due out next month. I don't know if you know about this game or this movie, Mark. No. 
at all. It's it's a movie that's totally been sold by the title of the <laughs> film. Um, basically, it's a movie about a terrorist releasing a bunch of snakes on a plane to assassinate <laughs> someone. Starring Samuel L. Jackson, no less, and he he only the I think the hilarious thing is he um, was going to back out of the movie because they wanted to change the name of oh, the movie. That he was like, if you change the name, you've ruined this Hell movie. Yeah, I mean, that's I the only thing that's got that. going for it. <laughs> so it's become this kind of internet phenomenon where you know there are people selling shirts and like they had a contest where you could actually write the end credit music. So they opened it up to all kinds of bands to write a snakes on a plane thing, and they got thousands of hell yeah, that'd of, be awesome <laughs> <laughs> submissions. So yet another way, I mean, this movie's going to do like millions of dollars. I know just because of all this buzz going around it. Um, yet another gr- group of people trying to cash <laughs> in on this fad is uh, Cobras in the Cockpit. So um, the movie starring Samuel Jackson is just as silly as it sounds. Terrorists release a hordes, of, hordes of snakes on a plane, and chaos and hilarity ensue. However, in this game, instead of guiding the hapless victims of this vicious attack, um, in Cobras in the Cockpit, you play the snakes. Ah. Your objective is to throw the plane into chaos. You pick, you pick a breed of snake, and then hiss, rattle, and squeeze, and bite your way through the plane, earning points for each section of the plane that you're able to throw into chaos. When all the sections of the plane have been thrown into chaos... The game's over, and the snakes are the most points. When the game comes with a five-piece board, a deck of 99 cards, five uh, snake species cards, 20 snake markers, 10 chaos markers, rule books, and score sheet. Ah. I think it's a la, from looking at their website, it's a la cheap-ass okay. quality. That's what I was going to ask. Which yeah. rankles me a little at the $30 price right. point. I mean, right. for that level of quality of game... There are a lot nicer games I could buy for for thirty bucks, right. especially when they're trying to cash in on the whole snakes on a plane thing. Exactly. If this was if this was fifteen, I would have already pre ordered it easily. Right, uh, but for thirty, I'm a little hesitant. But if you're a fan of snakes on the plane, right. or you know, I mean, it sounds so cheesy that I'm gonna be hard pressed <laughs> not to get it even at the thirty price thirty dollar price point. But I think it was worth mentioning because it's probably one that's. Missed some people's radars. Exactly. <laughs> and hey, if you're lucky enough, if they do print it, you might have a collector's edition. They might have that's one, true. Print, one print run. See ya. That's true. That's very <laughs> true. So so look for co- Cobras in the Cockpit as soon as they get enough orders to make the game. Awesome. The List. Over a decade ago, we took up the challenge to play every unplayed game in our collection. Each week on the Spiel, we play one or two games from our list of unplayed games. The list started over 100 and has been as low as 30, but we're at peace with the fact that we'll probably never get to the end. After all, life would be awfully boring without new games to play. Let's see which games get crossed off the list. Okay, well, uh, the first game we played tonight was a a little pirate game called Loot. It was originally published in 1992 under the title Corsair. The copy we own is a 2005 reprint. It's published by GameRight. It was designed by Rainer Canizia, one of our favorite designers. Um, it accommodates two to eight players, ages 10 to up. Um, a little neat thing about this is if you have four, six, or eight players, then it's played as a partnership game. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, it's pretty. we had obviously an odd number, so we didn't mm-hmm. do that. But five. Uh, so um, its price is 10 bucks. You can find it online at Thought Hammer Fun again for between six and eight bucks. Uh, the That's object- a great deal. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Pirate game, six or eight bucks. Hello, I'm there. <laughs> um, the object of the game is very pirate esque. 
be the player to loot the most gold from the merchant ships. Uh, oh, if I did mention this before, it is a card game. There's three types of three types of cards. You got merchant ships, pirate ships, and then you have um, crew cards. They right. come in, uh, I think, captains and an admiral. Admiral, yeah, exactly. On your turn, it's pretty easy. You draw a card or play a card. If you draw a card, your turn's over. If you play a card, you have two choices: play a merchant ship in front of you, or play a pirate ship, or play a pirate ship to attack any of the merchant ships on the table. Mm -hmm. And you're trying to have the largest attack value on a merchant ship. If it comes if it comes to the beginning of your turn and you currently are the highest on any one of the merchant ships out there, bam, you take it and you're in business. It's pretty darn simple. I yeah. think we taught ourselves how to play this in what five minutes? Yeah, basically like, after the first round, everybody's like, "Oh, okay, I get yeah, it." <laughs> exactly. So, uh, you guys have any good things to say about this? Yeah, I do. I I thought it was definitely a. A game that you could play with all kinds of ages and ability levels, you could pull out this kind of game, and it's it's a very nice, fast um, little pirate game. It doesn't take a lot of thought in that, so it would fall into the sort of beer and pretzels category to me. Definitely, you could, or a filler game where you know you might be waiting on some other people to show up to play some big, nasty, big, long game, right. and you could sit down and go, "Oh, let's play loot for however long it takes for the next person to come up." Um, I really like the art. I think the art oh, on the cards yeah. are, just, are just luscious and really just vibrant colors. The, yeah, the colors are amazing. It's um, kind of cartoony, over-the-top, yeah. <laughs> crazy-looking characters and ships, but the colors are just bam. Mm -hmm. I mean, you open up the deck, and you're like, wow. <laughs> it has a really fast pace to it, which is nice, but it also, if you let somebody... Uh, squirrel away too many of the small ships, I think the, the strategy-wise, you're like, oh, there's one that's worth seven you know, gold, I'm gonna go after that one. Well, the person who ended up winning, somebody who just you know took a was ton of little. yeah. They were like, oh, I'll just put out my couple two little ships, and nobody will attack those. Yeah. And then it comes yeah. back around to their turn, and they yeah. just secretly squirrel away this big pile of two or three ships, which I think is it's not so weighted towards the heavy big oh, ships right. that that gives you a giant advantage in the game, which I think is cool. Exactly. What did you What did you think, Mark? Yep, that was pretty sneaky of the the player. Roberto <laughs> grabbed all those little ships. And then, bang, she won. <laughs> well, and as usual, I mean, there's no way the three of us couldn't compete every time there was a big ship. <laughs> yeah. We had to go for the yeah. big guy. So we kind of left everything else alone and kind of hung ourselves. But, yeah. <laughs> you know, when you see a big thing come out, nine gold. See ya, I'm going after that. Yeah. <laughs> what about you, Dave? Uh, what were your overall impressions of the game? Positive, uh, negative, or otherwise? Definitely all positive. Um, I would say what's awesome is obviously the pace of the game. I mean, anytime you can have a fun little game that does require some strategy, but can be played in, what, 15 or 20 minutes, you know, um, I, I just love that kind of stuff because you never know. You don't always have the time to sit down for a couple hours. Right. So anything like this, I'm all over. Only thing I guess I would want to change or I, I, I could see that might improve it is the little crew, the captain cards. Right. They seem to come up kind of infrequently, and it right. would have been cool to have had maybe another like captains and like you right, know first exactly. mates or something that exactly. maybe you know the captains ensured victory exactly. if you put right. it on there no one oh the last person to play a captain on that battle was going to win that ship it would have been kind of fun to have first mates or you know yeah, you the swabbies or you know exactly. cabin boys different levels of different things you know, swabby beats a first mate who, yes. i mean who actually captain beats the first mate who beats a swabby that would have been fun i think that would have been kind of cool just to it wouldn't have added that many cards to the game 
and would just add a different level of strategy to the to the overall right. game. Not to make it really complicated, but right. to just that extra the art was already kind of fun, and it would have been fun to have seen, you know, what they what the artist even did with the, the captains and the cabin boys and also, stuff I, like I that. Also, I wish we had had time and the correct number of people because I would have loved to try the partnership thing. Yeah, that would have been really I think interesting. That would, but I don't think it changes the game a whole lot, but the unique thing is that I think in this partnership game you sit beside your partner. Oh, that's weird. Instead of, you know, alternating or across or Gosh. like you traditionally would. I can't think of another game that does that. Can you? Off the top of my no, head. No, not at all. If anybody out there knows, <laughs> for a shameless plug for exactly. the spiel. And if I'm insane and full of crap and you don't actually sit beside each other, then you can let me know. <laughs> but I'm pretty sure I remember reading that. Yeah. <laughs> Send us an email at stephen at thespiel.net or dave at thespiel.net. And of course, hey Dave, what's our website address? The spiel.net. Did you, Mark, what was that? I think I heard the spiel.net. Cool. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, I would definitely give this a thumbs up, and I would, oh. I would definitely look forward to playing this one again. Yeah, absolutely. Of all the little light beer and pretzels in between things, you can't go wrong with this. So, uh, game number two, Dave, you're doing the heavy lifting this week yeah, with the exactly. little game introduction here. So well, I, think, us... I think this game was as far on the flip side of the oh. first game <laughs> yeah. as you could possibly get. <laughs> light in 15 minutes. The heavy and hours. Yes. Not bad hours, but definitely hours. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so the, the second game we played tonight was uh, Mare Nostrum, including the Mythology expansion. Um, it's a Civilization-style board game. It was published by Eurogames and Descartes Editor in 2003. It was designed for three to five players, ages 12 and up. Now, the Mythology expansion was published in 2005, and it increases that max number from five to six. Um, both the games were designed by Serge Laggett, who has also designed Shadows Over Camelot, Mystery of the Abbey, awesome. and Castle. Three pretty cool little games. Uh, list price on this puppy is 50 bucks, but you can find it at Thought Hammer or Fun Again for between 30 and $40, and the expansion list for 35 and can be found at Thought Hammer or Fun Again for between 20 and 35 bucks. So about 50 and you're in for both it, games, exactly. basically. Especially, yeah, if you're getting it at one of these places, you're almost getting expansion for free. Yeah, yeah. So that's pretty sweet. <laughs> um, I just wanted to include a little snippet of info that I think uh, gives some insight into the motivation behind the game's de design. I thought this was pretty cool. Uh, it was the author's intent to design a big game about early civilizations that had fairly simple rules, a lot of strategic choices, but was not entirely about confrontation and war. So I think in a few minutes uh, we'll discuss whether we thought he actually accomplished that or not. <laughs> so um, thematically, the game is awesome. It has each player stepping into the role of the leader of an ancient civilization. You have Julius Caesar, Pericles, Hammurabi, Hannibal, Cleopatra. It's just awesome. I love the history of that kind of stuff. You, you made a fetching Cleopatra. <laughs> <laughs> the um, Basically... You, it's, you're gonna, it's gonna be your job to develop your empire through the wise use of resource and military might. And then using the wealth you gain, you can hire powerful heroes and build the great wonders of the world. I'm a total, complete, huge sucker for any game that allows you to build the wonders of the world. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and there's, there's a lot of them out there, but they're, they're all great. Mm -hmm. um, the object of the game is pretty simple. It, it is, in fact, to be the first player to build the pyramids or any combination of four heroes and wonders. So it's a pretty pretty simple object, not necessarily easily to get, yeah. to, get to that objective. <laughs> easy to say, hard to do. <laughs> right, exactly. Um, the game is chock full of components. It's got a really nice board, very simple. Um, it's divided up into land and sea provinces. The board is of the Mediterranean. Mm -hmm. 
Um, there's several kinds of full-size cards. You got hero cards and wonders of the world cards. Um, you also have resource cards that represent your taxes and commodities. There's counters representing buildings, and there's a bunch of cool little wooden pieces that represent your military um, forces. Um, the expansion throws in a cool little <laughs> section of the board that basically it, it adds the provinces of the new Atlantean civilization, which awesome. Oh, how cool is that? <laughs> <laughs> um, the expansion also adds in new, a new type of cards called God cards. Which, which are really cool. Yeah, awesome. There's like 21 different gods that you can have. So it was really neat. Um, and lastly, for the expansion, you also get a new military piece called the Mythological Creature. Which, which are unique to each civilization. Each civilization, has, right. You know, a Krakens and Titans. I had a behemoth. Phoenix and behemoths, yeah. <laughs> it's awesome. And ha definitely have to mention this. Rules-wise, they did a very intelligent thing. When they uh, put out the expansion... They redid the rules, so the rules that come with the expansion are the entire rules, encompassing the original rules and the expansion rules. Yes. Other game company people out there maybe listening, please yeah. do that yeah. whenever you put out an expansion because <laughs> that makes it so much easier exactly. to integrate the two and now, understand how they're supposed to work together. Right. Now, the rules still struggle some, so we're not going to say they're perfect rules, mm. the original ones or these, but whew, that made our life a lot lot easier. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> now, the this is a huge game, so one thing that's really cool is they give you two options, two ways to set it up. You can have, um, basically, you can have a predetermined setup, which since this was our first time, it's what, it's what we used. Everybody has a reference sheet, and the reference sheet shows exactly how and where to put your pieces. Oh, okay. And then they have a free setup where you can have X number of points, and, and you, you can decide. randomly determine how your civilization is set up at the beginning. Oh, that's cool. I didn't so, know that. That's cool. I, I forgot to tell you guys that. But <laughs> I think that's pretty cool, too, once yeah. you know the game. Um, getting a little more detailed into the game, um, each turn is divided into phases. Um, during each phase, one of the players assumes the role of the director of that phase. The roles are reassigned at the beginning of each turn, and they're based on owning the largest amount of certain types of buildings. So the first phase we have was the commerce phase, Stephen was the director of commerce, yes. so why don't you give us a little insight into that phase? Cha-ching. Yeah, I this controlled the money. <laughs> so I was Hannibal, I was Carthage in the game, and the commerce phase, basically, um, you dole out all the different commodities and resources, so everybody tells you, you know, oh, I need two livestock and four fruit and five wine, and they're really lusciously illustrated cards that you just, you know, pick out the number. You're basically like the banker as well as getting to do other stuff. So you, that's the kind of first half of the commerce phase. Second half of the commerce phase is the really cool part, which is you get to determine if and if there's any trading to be done. And if there is trading, how many cards, how many resource cards are going to be traded amongst all the people. And that is hugely important <laughs> because the number of different kinds of resources you have determine what you're able to build or... Uh, summon gods or all these other things so right. the, the different kinds of money are really important and you can see for instance in our game dave was egypt playing cleopatra um and he had all kinds of taxes but was having problems getting other kinds of commodities so it put him under the eight ball or behind the eight ball not under <laughs> i love being under the eight <laughs> <Yeah>. ball <laughs> um, every time and because i would make him have to trade and so it broke up his giant piles of money so he wasn't able to just buy without you know with impunity 
Yeah, that was um, that was killing. Which definitely was a, <laughs> a definite. I realized pretty early on that I was that was the one advantage I really had, and I just had to exploit the crap out of it yeah, for most you, of the you game. You went to town making sure that you didn't lose possession of that particular role. Yeah, early on. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I think it's really cool that that person can almost keep people out of a trade situation because if you choose to trade so many cards that some people don't have that many, they can't they're just done. They yeah. can't trade that turn. Mm-hmm. You know and. Sometimes that's great. Sometimes it's you know bad. Yeah, but. I mean it's really well balanced because there are other things that if you put all your eggs in that basket, it makes it hard to do other things like summon the gods or yeah, uh, right. build a military. Which I think we'll I'll pitch it over here to Mark. Mark, the next phase of the game was the, uh, the, 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 the offering uh, of the gods offering phase. to the gods right. phase, and that's the high priest. And for a more a lot of the game at least, Mark ended up being the high priest. So why don't right. you clue us in on the the that phase of the game. Okay, if you were in charge of the money, I guess I was in charge of the lightning bolt. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. But at the beginning of that phase, I was able to determine what order people could sacrifice to the gods, and then if you decided to sacrifice, you had to pay, I think, three resources. Right, right that's correct. And then you could choose from a bevy of beautiful gods. <laughs> they were all the different civilizations. Different. The right. Gods, so that was... Interesting. They didn't just put all of like all the Greek ones because that would be easy. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and you could do many mighty things like destroy cities or caravans were probably the two most powerful ones. You could get more resources. Uh, you could negate the action of a god if it was played against right. you. Right. <laughs> um, just that kind of thing. You could also try to vie for control over like the commerce or the other thing. Right. It would give yeah. you an advantage right. to try to maybe take that thing away from me or something. And the thing we learned really quick was the there was combos to be found <laughs> in the gods <laughs> yes. and the heroes. And boy, I think the sky's the limit on those yeah, parties. Yeah. It was it was just really cool. <laughs> but okay, so that was phase number two. Yep. It's a pretty short phase. And it I have, the one thing I guess I would throw in too is that in, at least in our experience playing the game, it was kind of like a detente. None of us, we were very gun-shy at the beginning to even mess with them because you knew the minute one person was like, yeah. I'll take the god that destroys the city. You knew, okay, well, I'll take the god that will protect me from your god. So yeah. we all just sort of was like, who was going to blink first right, exactly. and, and call upon the gods because you exactly. knew that all hell was going to break loose once that happened. Exactly. You're absolutely right. Once one god was purchased, every turn from that point saw all three of us. Oh, yeah? Well, I'll sacrifice for this god. It was great. So phase three then was the political leader, right? Yep, Is exact. that correct? Um, yep, it was the construction. The political okay. leader, which actually was during the construction phase. And this was me the majority of the time. And what I got to decide was the order in which we actually got to build things. Anywhere from buildings to military units to actually building the um, wonders of the world and hiring the great heroes, you know, to actually help your yeah. civilizations. And um, luckily, this was awesome because at least in our game, I thought it was best to always see what everybody else was building first. And as long <laughs> as I got to control this phase, I made Stephen and Mark go first all the time. And I just sat back and I'll just watch and see what you're going to do. Right. So if one of us, like if Mark built up a big military, you right. go, oh, well, maybe I should be doing the same in case <laughs> he's bringing all those guys my way. Exactly. So that it's that was a, that was a fun phase. Also, a rather quick phase. Yeah. You know, just spend all your stuff. And the thing I'll mention about this phase is the resources, um, how you actually go about building them. Um, you, you trade in sets of resources. Each thing has a value. 
value. We'll say that uh, I can't remember what it's like. A, a city was three. City instance. was three. So, for instance, if you were going to buy a city, if you were going to use um, commodities, you had to have a set of three different commodities. If you were going to use taxes to pay for your city, you had to have three taxes, ident three identical cards. So that, that was kind of cool. I thought that, that was very cool. You, know, you could go either way. Um, what else? Oh, the other cool thing is what you don't use during that phase, resource-wise, you lose. Gone. <laughs> now, there are exceptions to that, as is there, there is exceptions for <laughs> everything in the entire rule. And, but but you have to game. purchase those exceptions, which right. is, I think, part of the cool part is that you can say, oh, it'd be really nice if I could just build up this giant pile of resources and you could buy the right hero mm -hmm. that would allow you to do that if that was your strategy. Right. But unfortunately, you can't save from one turn to another. Right. So that was a pretty simple phase, just building your, building your stuff up. Um, and then that takes you to the fourth phase, which was the military phase. <laughs> which Caesar was the which king of. Caesar was absolutely oh. the military leader for the entire game. Yes. So. It was, a, it was a thrill, folks. <laughs> that's not that personality, but it was fun. Um, that's the way to actually expand into, to make your territory bigger, as well as, I think there's influence. But is that during your phase? Buying buy. the influence tokens is a construction thing. Exactly. But if you know it becomes and quick, if somebody else has pieces in there, you have to right you have get to them get out right. first before you can put your influence token in. So they're kind of connected. Yes. Right. Yeah. <laughs> sort exactly. of looking for. <laughs> exactly. I think the cool thing about the military phase was the um, obviously you mo moving your units, whether they're land units or sea units, and then the um, the actual battle mm -hmm. um, mechanic was a, basically a dice rolling mechanic, very simple and limited to one round per turn period. Right. You just take everything in there, go for it, and if you don't complete the battle, you're coming back to it next time. Mm -hmm. You know, and then the resolution is neat. Um, that, that that's the thing I like the most. Right. I'll I let you the, describe that then. Um, the when you win, if you're the only person with units left, you have three choices of what you want to do in that territory. You can sack you can occupy or you can convert the territory and there are differing levels of what those mean that I'm not going to bore you with right. going into the <laughs> nitty gritty every last thing but I like the fact that you know you can sit on someone's caravan and end up taking the the riches from that you can just try to destroy all the things that are in that province to make it <laughs> not usable by anybody else or they're going to have to spend a lot to get it back or you can literally just try to take it over and it, take right. all the stuff and, and make it yours I like the fact that there are like three levels of, of things yeah. you can do. I thought that was kind of unique to, to yeah. this style of game. Yeah, I thought it was great. Well, that's kind of a yeah, that's the whole a game nice a, little run through of, whole game of the in about way. A thirteen minute nutshell. <laughs> <laughs> so it took us as long to explain Mari Nostrum as it does to play loot. <laughs> exactly, exactly. <laughs> but there there room for both kinds of games yeah. in anybody's shelf, and this is a great example of this style of game. First, let's just open it up here and talk about it in general for a little bit. Um, impressions, you know, positives, negatives, or otherwise, what do you guys think? I, I think one thing that's, that would be really cool to mention is that um, Gen Con, one or two years ago... It was last year. Uh, last year, we talked to Ron. I can't remember Ron's last name. Yeah. He basically runs cafe games, so distributes a lot of Euro games and some and other games. used to work for Euro games. Exactly, yeah. and at that point, we hadn't... Purchased, we hadn't played or purchased the um, either one, either one yet, and he was like, "That's awesome," because the game is really what it's meant to be. Once you add the mythology expansion, 
So, and I think we'll all agree that we could not imagine playing this game without the mythology expansion. That brought so much color into yes. the game by the addition of the gods and the expansion of adding a lot more. Did they add more heroes? Yes, yes. They added they some added more, a heroes. Ton more heroes. Um, and the mythology. And the mythological creatures. creatures that each their military units, but instead of kind of having static abilities like all the other ones, all of our military units were exactly the same. But now we each had a unique creature with just crazy over the top fun mm-hmm. things to do. Mm-hmm. So um, cool little sphinx. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, that's cool. The little wooden sphinx <laughs> yeah. marker that, that those were definitely cool. So I I just wanted to add that real quick. One thing I thought oh, was yeah. awesome was I'm the mythology thing. Thought to mention you that. know. But so what did you? I I mean I would totally agree with you in that I can't imagine playing one without the other. That to me it's it would seem incomplete. Now I mean maybe I'd have a different opinion if I'd only played the other right. one. First, but to me, I liked. Although you said like the building phase went really fast, to me it was so mind-boggling <laughs> because of all the different combinations of heroes and buildings and gods. That once you started to accumulate a fair amount of resources, you were like, "Oh, I could, I could get Artemis, and I could, <laughs> I could go get Ulysses." And you, you kind of had paralysis by just the number of choices in a good way, though, just right. because you were like, can I see that deck of cards and go through them? Because there are just so many ways. I like games where it's kind of, it's up to you to formulate a strategy, but then there's almost guaranteed going to be a cool card that's going to enhance that strategy in some way. And the next time you sit down, you could go, well, let's go about it a totally different way this time. Cause I was like all economics Mark was kind of the military guy, and you were kind of in between. You kind of kind you never of, did military, but you no. were kind of commerce and building. I just beat stuff. up my peasants for taxes, <laughs> yeah, and spent all the cash. <laughs> <laughs> Moses was heading out of town, exactly. <laughs> um, but uh, j- just the look of the game—it's just such a lush, it is looking game. I, that has to, you know, this should be in the truckloads of Goober oh, list as exactly. well, because it's just got such really interesting, cool components. It's really just a beauty to look at i think and and the components are fun to manipulate and play with yep. that um you know you can't ever you know go too far in saying that that's that's not an important factor in oh. in enjoying some games and right. definitely if you're going to sit down and play a game for two or three or four hours it's nice that it looks nice and that you know you're going to enjoy playing with the parts of the game <laughs> i agree definitely <laughs> um mark what what are your sort of overall impressions or in well, i enjoyed the fact that you, nobody really got shut out of doing anything. There's so many games that if you're not part of the actual um, sort of battle, because you and David were doing more against each other, and I was just sort of running off to Atlantis, but even though I wasn't part of the group, I, there were so many things that I could choose from and, and improve my standing there. I, I really enjoyed yeah, that part. Yeah, so, you were not out of it by any right. stretch of imagination. Right. <laughs> and even though you'd ho- you hope you don't find yourself in this situation, one, one rule that they add is... Um, no matter what happens, you can never be stopped from building or producing in your your home, your, your home, your capital. You know, so even if somebody's encroaching on everything else, you know, you can fight down to the last minute forever. Yeah, you know, you, by you're not going to get put out of the game and be sitting in the corner for two hours while the other people finish. Right. The one thing I'd say related to what you were saying, Mark, is that I wish that in retrospect, I liked having all the expansion stuff, but because it adds that extra expansion map, playing with three players. I would. I wish there was a little more um, interaction between the players, and I think if you had been forced to come yes. towards us instead of having that at, that out to go away from right. all of us, 
um, would have been would have yeah. made it a more interactive. Not that there's anything wrong with what you did, because I think that's totally oh, legitimate yeah. and legal and everything. But, but to me, now. just in terms of it, would have gotten all three of us kind of in the mix in a way that would have forced us all to would have forced us all to do something differently, and probably would have made the game about an hour longer. But right. I don't. That wouldn't have hurt me no. at all because no. we were certainly having. Having fun, and uh, <laughs> we just wanted to make sure for this first time we got a chance to set it all up in its full glory, you know. But I think if we played again and found ourselves with only three of us, yeah, two seconds. Just to, <laughs> the cool thing is, you don't just by not using the myth- mythology expansion board doesn't mean you can't use all the other cool right, stuff right. that comes in the mythology expansion. I guess, and that's just my rec- that would be my recommendation right. if you're playing with three players, play with all the other stuff, but maybe just leave off the board, the expansion map board. Which is not totally unlike advanced civilization. They do almost the same thing. The same. They say cool. play. If you're playing with less people, play with all the other rules, but play in a concentrated area where you can duke it out with each other a little exactly. more. Not necessarily militarily duke it out, but just you're going to mess with each other yes. a lot more if you're kind of in a confined space. Um, what What did you think in terms of your little write up at the beginning? Yeah, you I were was... talking about that. What's What's your verdict on whether he was able to come up with a short style? <laughs> I, uh, I would say that. He halfway exceeded because I would say that once you can become familiar with how the game is played, it is certainly a very elegant and streamlined process each turn. Once you're familiar with it, you can get to, I think, the point that he wanted you to get to. But there was definitely a learning. We, We spent an hour and a half learning. Yeah, something at least like that. that, yeah. So as far as it being a simple game out of the box and just learning it, no way. <laughs> Once you learn it and become familiar with everything, it does become a, a very elegant, easy-to-play game for this style, for this huge, over-the-top civilization thing. It's never, I mean, obviously, you're not going to ever play this type of game in 45 minutes no, anyway. No, and I don't think that's never what meant he meant. To be, yeah. you know, but don't ever let his, his statement confuse you that you can open up the box and play the whole thing in, you know, learn and play in an hour. Yeah. <laughs> what, Steven? <laughs> We have a special guest. Uh, <laughs> I don't know if anyone can hear Emma, the cat, <laughs> in the background. She's got uh, her, two, her two cents she yeah. wants to weigh in with. <laughs> but I would say I would agree in that. I've played, I think, maybe more of this style game yes. than you have. I'm very familiar with the old Avalon Hill Civilization and Advanced Civilization. And if you compare it to those games where, I mean, you're in for five or six hours probably minimum when you play those games, if you actually play it to where they say, you know, this is how you're supposed to play the basic game, we usually play a sort of <laughs> truncated version and say, okay, we'll stop short of that, and we still, you know, feel like we've had a good time. But even then, it's still a four-hour right. <laughs> game. Given that, it still retains almost all of the feel of that kind of longer stretch. And I think, like you said, if you're familiar, I mean, we still, I think we were finished in about three, yeah, that's three and a half right. hours. That's true. Um that's really amazing. That it, I mean, it's not short by any stretch of the imagination, but it clearly is shorter than some of the other kind of competitors in the field. And I don't think you're giving up a lot in terms of gameplay. I'm not saying that there's still a, a, a good soft spot in my heart for civilization and advanced civilization, and we have to get that off the list sometime yep. with you, uh. buddy. <laughs> uh, that may be an all-nighter, but, <laughs> but we'll definitely have to do it. Um, but I would definitely say that on some level, he did accomplish it, but most people, I don't think, would go in thinking, oh, well, compared to Civilization, it's short. Exactly. <laughs> They're going to be thinking compared to other games, and he's a little cheating there, maybe, in the <laughs> way it's worded. But 
but he does get high marks, I think, on that oh. on that front. Yeah, I, I I love the way the game played out. Mm-hmm. You know, from phase to phase, I I can't think of any other game I've played, like you said, since I haven't played those other big ones that mm-hmm. are as big and as elegant. Yeah, so. I, I to me, I like the fact that you have the the ability. So often, all these kind of history of the world games just become big war games. And that this is clearly not the case oh. with Mari Nostrum. It's very much you can choose to go economics, you can choose to go military if you want, um, or you can choose sort of a combination of, of the bunch uh, with expanding and getting more cities and taxes and things right. like that. Uh, I like the fact that there's kind of a three-pronged strategy that you could go at it from any angle and be at you know an equal advantage. You're not going to, you know... You're not going to suffer because you say, I don't want to really build my military at all. I'm going to try to do economics. Right. Um, I I know as the Egypt player, I didn't ever one time um, attempt to invade or (laughs) anything. I built some defense. I built some defense, but I based, I never tried a military. Yeah. I think that would have been a little different if Mark had had to come away. But that's why I was saying I think it would have just made the game a little bit longer. Not in a bad way, but just because we would have been... Rubbing, right. rubbing up against each other exactly. a little bit more than otherwise, but um, looking forward to playing it again. Oh, would yeah. you say? <laughs> I, yeah, especially now that you know we, we've invested the time to learn it. Yeah, yes. it, it would be wonderful to play this again. Yeah, I I totally agree. I mean, we we managed to kill off some some bottles of beverages while we were doing <laughs> yeah. this. It took us that long to play, and we still were enjoying it. Probably more at the end of the time than we were when we started, but uh, it was uh, it was an awesome time and experience I thought, and you know I, it's hard to ding it on anything really. I I really give it a enthusiastic yeah, thumbs up. Definitely from my point thumbs of view. up from me too. Very nice. Back shelf spotlight. These games need some love, and we're going to give it to them. The Backshelf Spotlight shines on those games that may have slipped past your attention. Classic games, rare games, obscure games that you may not know about, but you should. If you're looking to branch out and try something new, this would be a good place to start. Okay, so welcome to the Backshelf Spotlight, and I'm sure you all cannot wait to know what the connection was between last episode's two games. Just a quick reminder, they were Dungeon Quest and Nuclear War. <laughs> Very similar games. But the connection was actually that there's both games have a possibility of the end game being a no-win situation. And <laughs> nice. So hopefully uh, that is not driving everybody crazy. So <laughs> Congratulations to all of you out there who guessed correctly. Right, and we did have a lot. Man, you guys are... Killing us. <laughs> Obviously, we're going to have to start making it a little bit tougher. Yep. Well, I think I've got a good one this week here. Okay. I, I'm going back to the two connection things. So, oh, awesome. So you're not going to gonna get by with just one here. <laughs> so there are two connections. Keep this in mind. There are two connections between these games. And we want to hear from you at stephenatthespiel.net or daveatthespiel.net. Uh, just log on to the website and you'll see our, our emails if you can't remember that. Um, so the two games for this week's backshelf spotlight are Bonanza and Guillotine. Oh. So there are two; those are the two games. Keep the connections in mind here. So we'll start with Bonanza. <laughs> so Bonanza was uh, 
first came out in 1997. Uwe Rosenberg is the designer. Rio Grande Amigo is the publisher. It's a two to seven player game, about 45 minutes to play. Um, it's readily available for 15 to 20 dollars from most of the on online retailers um, that you can find. So here's a little background about Bonanza. Hey kids, let's play a game about bean farming. <laughs> I know what you're thinking. Lame. <laughs> well, that's where you're wrong. Bonanza is a wacky, rocky, raucous park party game that will easily capture the attention of the most jaded grump. Players plant different variety of bean cards up in three, uh, in up to three bean tables on the table. The problem is, once you've planted one type of bean in the field, you're stuck with it until you decide to harvest them for gold. Whether it's coffee, wax, chili, stink, the bean, certain beans are plentiful, <laughs> while others are rare. You and your fellow farmers wheel and deal during each turn to try and swap beans to make the best deal and the most profitable harvest. In addition to the wacky bean art, there are the most unique aspect of the game is one particular mechanic that we can't go without mentioning. When you're dealt your hand of bean cards, you must keep them in the order that they were dealt to you and play them in that order. New cards that you get are put at the back of your hand and will slowly work their way to the front of your hand to be played. Who knew bean farming could be so much fun? <laughs> I think it's just a great, it, it's so surprising. You know, you, you sit down, anybody who you've, I've ever played this game with is like, oh my God, I cannot believe I'm sitting down to play this stupid game about bean farming. But yet by the end of it, they're like, this is really a cool it's, little game. So don't you, first off, you just cannot let the theme right. dissuade you from trying this game. I love the fact that it has that kind of raucous pit element yep. to it where you're like, stink, stink. I've got stink. Does anybody need stink? I've got, you know, I'll trade you two chili for my wax or maybe I'll get a little coffee over here. It can just be sort of pandemonium at the table and any game that kind of promotes that interaction <laughs> yeah. between people. I'm a, I'm a huge fan of, I think that's really fun. Um, I've taught it to, seven and eight year olds and they can catch on like wildfire it's not a not a difficult game to play but it scales upward and is fun for adults well that's you know it's definitely not necessarily a kid's game but you could definitely play it with younger people as well as, right. as adults um i just i think it's a, a classic really it's um, a great game that has such unique components to it in that the, the way in which you go about assembling your fields and having to play the cards out in a certain order. And the only way to really um, change that order is by trading cards from your hand um, is really unique. It's really cool. There are a lot of expansions, which I'm not going to get into yeah. in detail, but there are tons of expansions to the game. Mutabon, which <laughs> adds genetic mutations. So your beans can change from like, <clears throat> excuse me, um, steak beans to coffee beans in the middle of growing so you could plant two different kinds of beans in a field or there's bonaparte yeah uh, there's german Al bone Alcabon. is the german word for uh for, for bean, bean for those of you out there who don't know bon yeah what did you say Alcabon. Alcabon. yeah there, there's just <laughs> rabonzel yeah. is another one so if you like the basic one you can just go nuts with all these different expansions um so if you have if you don't know about it right seek it out i'd say any any Thing you want to add there, Dave, about Bonanza? No, I, I agree with everything. It's become a classic very quickly. Mm -hmm. I mean, there's nobody that should not own this game for those beer and pretzels times. I mean, this is should be at the top of your list. It also has one thing. It has a little spinoff, Space Beans. Oh, right, There's a yeah. little spinoff of that that is also great. 
you know, <laughs> that you should look up. Different, but yet cool. Right, exactly. <laughs> and then on the flip side of cool, look that up, there's also a board game. Yeah, that is not, not so cool, good. and you shouldn't look it up. Oh. I don't even know if we should mention its name. Bean Trader. <laughs> In the interest of full disclosure, because there it, might be somebody out there who loves Bean Trader. <laughs> exactly, but but the original game is still, I think, probably a lot of um, online and brick-and-mortar stores number one import sell. I mean, it's yeah. just a really popular game. Yeah, have we foisted Bean Bonanza on you? Have we made you play it, Mark? Sounds familiar, but I can't remember <laughs> Well, I bet you haven't played it then because you'd remember it. Oh, yeah, <laughs> you'd played yeah, it. Yeah. <laughs> so game number two in the back shelf spotlight is Guillotine, another classic in my opinion, definitely worthy of the back shelf spotlight and should be on everybody's shelf. Um, published in 1998, Paul Peterson is the designer. Wizards of the Coast was the original publisher, which they've been swallowed up by bigger companies. Uh, two to five players plays in about 30 minutes. Any game where you can play a card labeled Fountain of Blood has to be good. <laughs> In Guillotine, you play rival executioners competing to lop off the most valuable heads. Uh, cards representing the unfortunate condemned souls in the French Revolution are placed in a line on the table leading up to the guillotine. Each player must take the head, card, head of the card at the front of the line. The higher up the social ladder the victim is, the more points that head is worth. Action cards allow players to manipulate the order of the line to take the best head available, and victory comes to the player with the highest point total after three days of head-chopping mayhem. Yeah! <laughs> so, <laughs> talk about taking an otherwise gruesome subject and making it into a wacky little game. Hey, let's play <laughs> Chopping Off Heads! <laughs> and also, in addition, any game that has the Piss Boy card. Oh, uh, yes, of Hello. course. <laughs> Fountain of Blood and Piss, Piss Boy, Boy all in one game. How can you go wrong? Uh, it's just a great little fast, sort of like we were talking with loot. Right. You can play it in just a heartbeat. It really goes quickly. There is some strategy to it. All the action cards are really fun to try to rearrange the order. You're like, oh, there's that bishop who's worth five points. I don't want to take the little stupid peasant who's only worth two. <laughs> or there's even some that give you negative points. There's some cards that will give you bonuses for like collecting a lot of a certain type, like a lot of the clergy or a lot of the royalty, um, in addition to your other um, ways of just scoring points with the numbers on the cards that indicate the value. Um, really can teach it to almost any age level, and it just goes really fast. And, and it's just such a good icebreaker because of the, the sort of wacky nature of the exactly. game, I think. It may be off-putting to some people because of the violence or maybe the, the political un incorrectness of it, but <laughs> but you should definitely give this game a try because it's just a it's a hoot. I Plus, it, it comes really with fun. it comes with that's right a cardboard should, guillotine. Yes, <laughs> hello <laughs> that you can set up. set up at the end of the line. And <laughs> Dave has gone so far as to actually get a uh, an actual guillotine, little <laughs> miniature guillotine when he plays, which is a hilarious. I think. <laughs> Um, so those are the those are the two games here. Awesome. Those are great, great and games. Remember, for those of you listening out there, there are two connections between Guillotine and Bonanza, and we want to hear from you what you think these connections are. They're generally generally kind of from left field, or at least one of them might come at you from a tangent. Us? Left field? No. <laughs> so don't think so straightforward when you're thinking of these connections. Um, but... They're, they're legitimate. <laughs> so um, we'll be interested to hear what you think. Uh, write us at stephenatthespiel.net, dave at thespiel.net. Truckloads of Goober. 
What is goober, you ask? While sages and scholars may debate its subtle nuances, Dave defines truckloads of goober as either a game with a ton of quality components or a game with really unique components. Now we're not saying you should always judge a book by its cover, but the stuff, the goober in a game can be a factor in having fun. Great goober can make an otherwise average game excellent. Great goober can make an already great game sublime. So without further ado, here are the Goobermeisters with their pick. So tonight, in Truckloads of Goober, we have a game that I think if you looked in the dictionary under Truckloads of Goober, you would probably find this game. <laughs> Absolutely. Because there is more Goober in this game than darn near any other game <laughs> I own. In fact, we already had a listener say, I can't believe you haven't we did. covered. Uh, Tim sent us an email and said, what are you guys, insane? <laughs> well, as luck has it, you get, you're going to get your wish tonight. The <laughs> game is, is for you, Tim. Exactly. <laughs> the game is Twilight Imperium 3rd Edition. Uh, Fantasy, it's uh, produced by, published by Fantasy Flight Games and designed by Christian Peterson, who I think is pretty much in charge of, charge of Fantasy Flight Games. Oh, that's cool. Um... This was put out in 2004. List price is 80 bucks. <laughs> Yow. Yeah. It's a little crazy, uh, but you can find it between like 55 and 65 bucks online. Three to six players, ages 14 and up. How many times do we hear that? Yeah. <laughs> so obviously they're aiming for a little. They definitely yeah. got a target audience. In and mind deservedly for this. so. <laughs> <laughs> um, the reason why this is on truckloads of goober is because, <laughs> oh my goodness, we're talking. Over 300 plastic wow. miniature pieces that come with this game. Detailed yes. plastic miniature over pieces. Over 400 counters and board tiles. Over 400 cards. <laughs> it's just absolutely insane. Any game that can give you a hernia <laughs> yeah. when you have to take it from your shelf to the table has to qualify yeah. for truckloads just of Just crazy. And I'm here to tell you that it took me a week to cut those plastic parts off their sprues <laughs> nicely. I mean, it was just crazy. I remember I would talk to Stephen every day. Still not done cutting those <laughs> off. The next day, I'm still not done. <laughs> but there is just tons of stuff. And if that's not enough, there is an expansion in the works. Oh, man. So this is going to be extra goobered up by the time you get the expansion. Now, Unfortunately, you'll notice that this game is still on our unplayed list. So while Steven has, in fact, played the earlier versions of the game, we have not, in fact, played this version. So we will, hopefully, this will be coming back to you yet again. Yeah, if um, Dave can twist my arm. <laughs> well, I've, I've heard that one cool thing about this is that it's taking a mix of all those American-style war games and the new new to us European style board games and kind of melded them into this really cool new style game. Whether that's actually the case or not, we haven't played it so we can't say it. Yeah. And if that's not the case, Steven's not going to have anything to do with this. Dave is going to have some <laughs> hell to pay, let me tell you, because I, I have bad experiences playing Twilight <laughs> Imperium and I hope to heck you're right. I hope that they've fixed 
the problems with it. I mean, it had really bad runaway leader problems with the original, and I just think it's broken right. if you play the original one. You know, there's nothing like playing a Ugh. five, six, seven, eight hour game and knowing after 45 minutes, you know, <laughs> there's really no way I have any chance of winning this game, but yet I'm not going to get killed off right. for like three hours. That's <laughs> just, that's pain to me, you know. The, the cool thing, good or bad. Boy, did this game belong in this oh particular my segment. <laughs> it is the definition of truckloads of yeah. goober. Definitely. <laughs> and, and Fantasy Flight is going to make a habit of being on this list, I think. Yeah. Or in this particular segment. Tell him, Emma. <laughs> the cat is giving her two cents worth. <laughs> so um, I, I think that will probably do it for truckloads of goober. The Game Somalia. Or, right game, right crowd. Like matching the perfect vintage with a delicious meal, the Game Sommelier finds the right game for any crowd, age, experience, or personality. Each week, one of us must pick five games to meet a fiendish challenge. Each week, one of us must earn the right, the honor to be called the Game Sommelier. Here's Dave with this week's challenge. Okay, everybody remembers uh, my challenge to Steven last episode was to find five entry-level role-playing games for people who have never role-played before, including the player who intends to play the part of the Game Master. <laughs> so, that being said, it's all yours, Steven. <laughs> well, I, this was really fun, actually, because I think I've, got, I've been doing role-playing games since I was like eight years old, so I, I have a lot of experience playing the different ones, but I'm not so completely in that camp that I mean I love all kinds of different games so I can understand people who would be off put by getting into role playing especially if they haven't done it ever or haven't done it for a long time you know maybe they well I played D&D when I was 10 but I haven't played anything since because it's really exploded as a hobby into tons and tons of different choices and it can be really daunting to know where to where to take a stab to start right. with so Here's kind of my reasoning. I'm going to spend more time talking about the reasoning behind the choices okay. than going into gory detail on all the rules mechanics on each of the games, so bear with me here. Okay. So for first-time role players, I favored games with more uh, in-depth mechanics and res resource materials or an imaginary universe that the players may already be very familiar with. Okay. So I think the tendency as a new player is to think that there's a right and a wrong way of playing. You're so worried about, oh, am I doing this right or am I doing this wrong? There isn't. Role-playing is really just a form of collective storytelling. The players play the characters in the story, and the game master helps to guide them through the plot. Role-playing gives players and game master amazing amounts of freedom, but this freedom can also be paralyzing to the game. The mechanics of the role-playing system can help shape the story by giving the players and the game master choices and consequences to weigh. So if it's just too open-ended, it's really hard for the game master or anyone to know what's, what's sort of allowed within the, the structure ah, of the rules. Okay. With any story in any adventure, there's a lot of pressure on the game master to have answers to any thousands of <laughs> scenarios that can never be planned for 
in advance. One of my famous ones is I designed an adventure because I hadn't really read the rules to combat before and almost the entire party gets killed in the first like <laughs> 10 minutes of the thing because they did something I totally didn't expect and something blew up. <laughs> so there's just no way you can plan for every possible scenario that could occur. This has happened to me so I, I can sympathize with this perfectly. Some game masters can be very quick on their feet but many are not. These games, the ones I've picked, give a novice game master something to fall back on, namely the rules themselves. Right. It's an easy mistake for the players to assume that the game master is their adversary. The game master is really more like a referee, helping the story to unfold. And the more he has a rule to say, well, you know, it's, it's allowed or not allowed, that's a, that's a way to help the game master out to really not have to feel like he's making it all up himself. Um, Having an impartial system of mechanics, in other words, whether this means the roll of the die or a draw of a card, it gives uh, both sides a way to have their story play out in ways that allow the players to have freedom without always getting their way. Wow. The one sure thing is that the story will always go in directions that neither group can predict. That being said, the mechanics of the game should never ever hinder the story. I'm a firm believer that adapting any role-playing rule set to the needs of the game or the group is the way to go. In other words, I don't think anyone should feel the need or the pressure to learn the rules backwards and forwards before diving in and playing. Use the rules that make sense with your group and chuck the ones that don't. Cool. The only real way to do it wrong when you're role-playing is to not have fun. As players become more comfortable with the whole concept of role-playing, it's easy to dial back the mechanics whenever they intrude on the story or fun, but the games that I've picked start out with maybe a slightly heavier on the mechanics simply because you can you have something to refer to. You've got a crutch that you can go back to and right. say, well, if I want to do that, how can I do that within the game without the game master just having to go, well, I don't know, just <laughs> roll a die and I'll make something happen. Okay. So that's kind of the, the I've set the stage here for these choices. So number one on the list is a level-based game where your characters are going to progress uh -huh. through different levels. And how could you go with anything other than the grandpappy of them all, Dungeons & Dragons? Uh, there may be some groans from the listeners <laughs> out there, but I think it's a great entry-level gateway role-playing game, especially they've reintroduced a new uh, system of rules called the D20 system that really has done a great job of streamlining the rules in a way that... I think, allows experienced players to still have fun and pick and choose and not necessarily be constrained by the rules, but they always have a really good section at the beginning of the basic rule books that explain if you've never done it before, this is how you do it. Um, and they're broad enough, but yet specific enough, if that makes sense, to cover exactly. most situations um, that I just, I can't, I don't think you can go wrong with that choice. I've been playing it since I was eight and you know it just it's held it stood the test of time the other thing i guess i'd say is that you don't have to buy a thousand books to really get into it you could buy a player's handbook for about thirty dollars or even used for a little less than that if you're going to play if you're going to be the dm you're going to need a couple books you know if you invest you know forty to fifty dollars in a couple hardbound books that that's collective fifty bucks for both books um and maybe an adventure for ten so for sixty bucks you've got a starter set you know, you might even, the group could just buy one or two players' handbooks and share them amongst the group so to keep the cost down. D&D, &D, cool. first, first choice, kind of lame, but 
but it's uh, by far and away I would put that really high on the list okay. of entry level ones. I'm obviously, as we know, this is going to be a little different than most game sommeliers, <laughs> since you really are teaching Mark and I something that we don't know. We're going to be almost forced to give you thumbs uh-huh. up, <laughs> but. We will test him on this later. <laughs> yes. <us>. So, <laughs> we'll actually have to play and e- find out. <laughs> exactly. So that's going to get a thumbs up. Okay. Um, you could also go with um, skill-based uh, rule sets um, that are slightly different in their mechanics. I think a, a perfectly good choice in that category would be um, Call of Cthulhu. Um, this this might be a little bit of a, a stretch because... For most people, I think they think of it as a kind of a role-player's role-playing game because Uh it doesn't put so much emphasis on statistics or your character becoming, you know, 15th level wizard and (laughs) stuff like that. It's based on the works of H.P. Lovecraft, who was a horror and supernatural story writer in the 1920s. So I love the period. And what I mean by skill-based is that instead of your character progressing by levels, you might play, you know, a university professor or a Scotland Yard detective or a flapper Ah. girl or a dancer or something like that. And you start out with certain skill sets. You roll percentile dice and Ah. to determine how well, you know, you might have a 50% skill at something that you start out pretty good at. And then as the game goes on, whenever you succeed at the skill... You, get, you have a chance of getting better. And ah. so as you play the game, you're going to get better at certain skills, and you'll have the opportunity to, to pick up different skills as you play. But it's sort of a more, you're thinking of a person rather than this you know, sort of demigod that you end up right. doing in D&D yeah. where you just become this uber-powerful oh, person, which I think is really a cool and way yeah. different way of looking at role-playing um, that you really is much more like a character in a story. And it has a great, fantastic... Because it all is supernatural and horror, every character has a sanity statistic, <laughs> and depending upon what you know, horrific things happen in the stories, your characters almost always, they almost never die. They just go permanently <laughs> insane in different ways, which I think, you know, I've had many a character retired to the Arkham Sanitarium, <laughs> which is just a great fun, yeah, I think, that's... for both the game master and the other. The rules are specific enough again, but yet general enough to allow all kinds of wackiness to happen oh, and, and interesting great. stories to <laughs> go for so there's number two that's all right thumbs up that sounds fun yeah (laughs) yeah so number three this goes at the role playing from the point of view of the a specific genre so um the one i picked is an old west role-playing game called deadlands Ah. it's sort of weird west role-playing so (laughs) you have sort of it's it's got sort of fantasy elements but it's set in the 19th century american Old West, so there are zombies and vampires and werewolves running around <laughs> in the Old West uh, theme. So, it, you know, I'm looking at things that, from a point of view of players, what might interest you in starting to play any kind of role-playing. Oh, well, right. I really like the Old West. Well, there's a role-playing game that kind of fits that category. Well, hey, I like the I like H.P. Lovecraft. Well, there's Call of Cthulhu. Um, the thing that sets Deadlands apart mechanically, other than this sort of setting, which is just wonderfully weird, it kind of has that wild, wild west theme uh, or that old TV show, oh, yeah. it has that aspect to oh, it, too, neat. just from a uh, the world view that you're in. Um, you use playing cards instead of dice uh, for everything from character creation to other things. So poker hands and things oh, determine other things. So the whole thing, it just oozes the the period. Oh, uh, combat awesome. is done with playing, playing cards. It's just a, it's an awesome game um, from top to bottom, and especially if you're into the kind of Old West oh. theme. 
definitely a good choice. That, so there's that's number awesome. three. I had no idea anything like that existed. That's, it's, I would definitely, you would have a hoot playing, that's all, <laughs> playing that's that one. Fake thumbs up. Yeah. <laughs> um, so uh, last sort of mechanical tie-in here is if you're looking for something that will kind of fit everything, you have to go with GURPS, which stands for, it's a Steve Jackson game. It's uh, GURPS is G-U-R-P-S, and it stands for Generic Universal Role-Playing System. <laughs> um, the idea being that there are tons, there's sort of one basic GURPS rulebook that gives you how to make up characters and how to, just the basic, like the, the skeleton of the rules. And then they have, I don't even know how many, I think it's probably hundreds, I'm not exaggerating to say hundreds of resource books that cover different periods and different ah. styles. So you can do GURP, GURPS superheroes and play a superhero game. and Or you could do GURPS uh, voodoo and play a sort of, you know, weird uh, set in the Caribbean kind of thing. You could do GURPS, oh gosh, I'm just I'm struggling. You can do almost anything. GURPS uh, sort of modern warfare, GURPS uh, fantasy, GURPS science fiction. So that's awesome. All you can, these different you categories. You can learn one core set of rules. If you know one rules. core set of rules, you can set it in any of these settings. Ah. And there are resource books that you can bring to bear they are so in-depth that they can be intimidating right. to the first person because they, I mean, I give it a hard time when we play with our other role-playing group because it's sort of like you look at the character creation thing and you're like, well, I want to be a brain in a jar. Oh, can my character have wings? Oh, can my character be three <laughs> feet tall? Oh, can my character have silver eye? I mean, anything that you can possibly want, there are rules for, which some people might find Woo. like limiting because everything is kind of spelled out. But I could see as a new role player, that could also be very helpful because there are there is a sort of structure in place that the DM or the game master is not going to have those kind of things to worry about. Wow. Um, but that's, it's a weird one and it's definitely one that, that I think would appeal to, to new Yeah, I, I love the fact that you, you can just learn those one core set and then dabble in can, several different story types and themes and yeah. worlds and settings. Yeah, where, the, you know, like Deadlands, you're stuck with that poker right. mechanic. You can't, like, you couldn't apply that to a right. science fiction setting exactly. and have it really work very That's, well. This one, you learn one thing, and then it's up to you to pick whatever genre you want. So you don't even have to choose the genre to choose the game. Yeah, that, that's, um, that's very cool. So Definitely. that's cool. Thumbs up. Okay. Last but not least, we have um, the what thing I mentioned early on, which is picking a game in a fictional universe that you're already familiar with. Oh, okay. So I, I'm even going to just kind of throw this open. I, I didn't even – I have one in particular, but I could have named so many different ones. You, I'll pick Star Trek as an example. You, I mean, there's this whole universe of, of that you already come into the game already knowing mm -hmm. and loving – that to me, that's one of the reasons you might want to sit down and play any kind of role-playing game is it's not something completely new. It's something that you already know and you're familiar with. You're like, well, I know, I know how Klingons act. I want to play a Klingon, <laughs> you know, that that would be really cool that, you know, or I want to play, you know, a Vulcan, whatever. You kind of, you kind of know the rules of the game before you even sit down to learn the rules of the game, if that makes sense. Because so much Absolutely. of it is this fictional world that you're going to sit down and have fun in you know, over the course of time playing the game that any, you know, you can pick Star Trek, you could pick Star Wars. Um, there's even, you know, newer media tie-in ones with uh, Serenity, which is based on the, the Firefly Fire. TV series and the Serenity film, um, that if you really were a fan of those things, 
you know, it's, it was hard to pick. You know, I'm a Star Trek fan. I like all these other science <laughs> right. fiction shows as well. Star Trek kind of has a, a big appeal, as big appeal as Star Wars. Definitely. That there, there are some really good role-playing games around each ones of those that I think would be a great intro because you already have a really good sense, especially from the Game Master's point of view. You can sit down and start making up adventures on your own right. if you have ideas of, oh, well, this is what should have happened or whatever. You, you already have that to go on. To build upon, which I think would be a good intro. All I can say to that is, Kapla! <laughs> awesome. Darmok and Jalad, So, um, those are my five, I think. Those, uh, those sound great. I think, you know, for, for anyone who's starting out, you know, if you got questions, feel free to shoot me questions because I think I can answer a lot of questions when it comes to role playing. It's a, you know, near and dear to my heart. We do it once or twice a month with a group I've had for a long, long time. So um, that's something I've never done, and those certainly we should, we should get around to that. Make sometime. me want to do it. We should definitely, definitely start doing that because I would, I would have fun <laughs> making your life a living hell. <laughs> <Exactly. laughs> that was a great job. Yes. And can I have silver eye? Hmm. Um, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I guess so. Only if you want to be a brain in a jar, though. Oh, okay. <laughs> there's there's always trade-offs, you know. <laughs> so if you're comfortable with that, I, I just have a feeling that Mark's character will always have to have a bottle of Sailor Jerry. <laughs> yes, oh, <laughs> the obligatory Sailor just Jerry mention whenever we're around Mark. <laughs> so are you ready for your challenge I, here, dude? Let's hear it. <laughs> All right. Uh, so Dave, your challenge for episode ten. Can you believe we're almost at double digits Ooh, already? Man. Uh, Look forward to some Gen Con uh, episodes coming up here. We're getting close to Gen Con, so that'll be fun. So your your challenge for episode, uh, the next episode is uh, find five games for hardcore gamblers ah. that they would enjoy <laughs> enough to pry themselves away from the slots or the craps table or the blackjack table. These games, however, cannot be obvious gambling game ripoffs. Okay. Uh, the idea being to expose these gamblers to the wider world of games. What I mean by that is, I mean you can't pick a game that's just sort of hold 'em poker with some, you know, you know, old west juice sprayed on it or something okay. like that. That it has to be uh, a new legitimate game. It can have a gambling component, right? Definitely, but it can't be a gambling game that they're familiar with. Cool. In other words, and I don't think they should be all gambling, you know, maybe gambling should be a part of the game, but it shouldn't necessarily be the whole crux of the game. Okay. So the, with the idea of, you know, introducing them, because any hardcore gambler really is a hardcore gamer. Absolutely. Of a sort, Whether they know it or not. Whether they know it or not. <laughs> and there's this wider world of games out there waiting for them that they probably would enjoy if they just have someone that can put five of these games in front of them and say, hey, let's try these. And I bet if you try those, you might be willing to... Uh, you know, break yourself away from poker night every once in a while and try one of these. Not that we have anything against hardcore gamblers right, exactly. or playing poker or any of that, because we enjoy those games just as much as the next person. Uh, but it would be a good way to to get them to broaden their horizons. So yeah, that's a good challenge. There you have I, it. I think that's going to be fun. <laughs> I hope. Hopefully, I'll be up to the task. <laughs> I, I think you will. Cool. Well, um, before we we put a lid on this episode nine of the spiel. I want to remind all the listeners out there that there are two different versions of the podcast that are available uh, for download. There is an MP3 version and an enhanced version. Um, the enhanced version is available through iTunes and it contains pictures of all the games that we're talking about while we're talking about them. You can either play it through iTunes 
um, and watch it there and you'll see the pictures and the links to the things while it's going on. It also has chapters that makes it easy to navigate through. If you're like, ooh, I want to watch or I want to hear Truckloads of Goober, you can go straight there right away. The MP3 version is obviously always available through that feed as well. Just wanted to remind people that they're they're both there for your listening pleasure. <laughs> well, thanks thanks so much, Mark, for uh, yes. hosting us. I hope you've I'm had fun. <laughs> I think I think we definitely have had fun awesome. playing games till we're red faced here. <laughs> yeah, great great week of just <laughs> games, games, and more games. Yeah. <laughs> so thanks very much. I hope sure. you've had fun, and yes. and we'll look forward to seeing you in future episodes. I think. I expect to be released from the asylum anytime. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Well, we just go home to our padded cell okay, in exactly. Indianapolis. So, <laughs> well, um, without further ado, uh, I think it's time to put a, a lid on this one. So remember, whether it's the roll of a die or the turn of a card, the flip of a tile, you don't have to play to win. You, you just, just have, have to play. play.